When your legs don't work like they used to before, you know that Ed Sheeran song? No. Like, how is that not a disability song? When your legs don't work like they used to before, there's a chance you might have SMA. When your mouth tightens up and you can't open up, and your arm muscles get oh so weak, Jamie, it's time to talk about one more movie. Is that the one where he's like, he's like, Tony, please let me into your broken arms. Yeah. Something like that. That fucking song. I wish your arms could fucking move. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's actually SMA Awareness Month. Okay. Are you aware of SMA? I would hope so. You better get more aware for this month. Does being aware of you count? Yeah. But can you tell me what you're going to do for me? As some, how are you going to? Show me your awareness for the entire month of August. Hmm, I don't know. I'll probably talk to you throughout the week for a grand. No, but you have to do more than what you've done every other month. Really? Yeah, you have to be more, you have to be hyper aware. So I like, what does that mean? Well, I'm asking you. Like cook you a meal? I would love that, yep. Like massage your temples? Yep. Buy you a beer? All of these things you can't do remotely. I I know. What do I do? Refer you to a blind date that will be successful? That would be fantastic. <laughs> I, what else could I do for you? Like, I don't know, like buy you a a TV, <laughs> sorry, buy you a, a t-shirt from like a novelty brand store. Well, you could just do all those things. Like I'm not very good at gifting for people. Yeah, me neither. That's I false. used to be better at it. And then, I don't know, I think I just got worse at it. Or maybe I just ran out of gift ideas. Like, I used them all in my 30 years, and now I'm just out of them. Well, you and I have uh, been purchasing, like, you and I have purchased two gifts together, I believe. And both of them were thoughtful, and it was you who did most of the thinking. Uh, Well, it's nice of you to say that, but I forget at least one of them. (laughs) So okay. I guess I'm not that thoughtful. Well, I'll leave the other one up for you to remember. Okay. How are you? It's it's good to see you. You too. Every time we go a week without recording a podcast, the next time I speak to you over a, a podcast, I feel like we haven't spoken in months. Or all of our other conversations every day don't count. Well, it's not that they don't count. It's just that I'm much more mindful when we're recording. Can you only talk to me? Because, you know, people are listening to the conversation. <laughs> Imagine. Like, you have a good joke, you know, wait till we, we record. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, most of the time. Anytime you say something funny, you're like, damn it, I should have saved it for the recording. Yeah, because if I rehash it during the recording, you won't react, you know, authentically. Yeah, it's not authentic. Are you saying for SMA Awareness Month, you want to talk once a week now? Um, just to improve the quality of the podcast. Yeah. I guess. Again, like I'm not very good with gifting, so you're going to have to like hint at me what you need for SMA awareness. That's the thing is like, I'm probably better at gifting than receiving gifts because I never feel like I need anything and, and, or even like want anything, you know, gifting isn't my love language or whatever. It's like probably the last one on my list. So then what the hell is your love language? Is it cooking? Random acts of sushi is nice, yeah. Random acts of sushi. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. 
physical touch is up there. What are they? There's five, right? You don't want that for me, though. Well, you said the temple massage. I'll take that. <laughs> what are the five love languages? I don't even know. Aren't you reading a book about love or something? Yeah, but it doesn't talk about the languages. Oh. That's like another book. Let me see if I can remember. There's, uh, there's quality time, which I love. That's That might actually be my favorite. Quality time and physical touch is like up there. And then... This doesn't count as quality time? Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah, for what sure. What if I came to Ottawa for SMA month and just like appeared at your apartment? That would be the best. That, that would honestly be the best gift, yeah. Yeah, you think so? Yeah. I don't know if that's true, though, Tony. It might, might you, think, not... you think you'd be an imposition? Maybe. I no. haven't traveled for a long time by myself. I might be, like, completely clueless. On how to... You're just doing the same thing you do there in a different city. Well, but I, I, I don't have my travel sea legs anymore. Like, I'm all atrophied, and I don't, I'm, you know... Travel what? I don't have my sea legs. What's a sea leg? Like, you know, when you swim, you, like, get your sea legs... Like S-E-A? Yeah, S-E-A, sea legs. Okay. Yeah, not like C as in like cerebral palsy leg. I thought you meant like the letter C, like that's the shape of your legs. <laughs> <laughs> that would be impractical. Yeah, I was like, how is that going to help you travel? <laughs> you can hang from anything. <laughs> yeah, I can be stowed away. <laughs> okay, so you don't have your your swimmer flippers. yeah. So I would feel, I think I'd feel overwhelmed if I traveled to see you after being so secluded for so long, to be perfectly honest. Do you think you would fly? Fly? I'd probably fly, yeah. Yeah? And then... Is there a train from there to here? No, of course not. I think there used to be a train from here to to Toronto, but then Toronto didn't really want anyone from Thunder Bay anymore, so they're like, nope. Oh yeah, they probably ran that train and there was like one person per train. Yep. Yeah, you should definitely come stay with me. For like our, we should make a thing, like our 50th episode, we record in person together. Okay, in front of a live studio audience? Well, we could. It might just be my friends. <laughs> we like rent out a lecture hall at Carleton University? Yeah, and like 10 people show up. Yeah, yeah. We could get at least 10, probably. We could have like a Q&A session. Right. I don't know what the cues would be, to be honest, but it would be great to find out. It'd be like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it is going to be, why did you choose the name Cripple? It will be uh, various iterations of that question. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't think we have a good answer. I, we've thought about this a number of times. No. <laughs> it's disarming. I think that was a main goal to to make people understand that we aren't trying to take ourselves too seriously. Yeah. And maybe we're, there's a little bit of a shock value to it. Yeah. I don't, but the thing is, I've, I started to realize since we started, I don't know if cripple is a word that able-bodied people feel comfortable using anymore. Well, maybe they shouldn't. I don't know. But I don't want able-bodied people to not feel like they can say the name of our podcast. I mean, <laughs> I guess that's a good point, yeah, but, it, like, it's in context. But I think we should make it clear right now, if you are a listener of this and you're able-bodied, or if you're disabled and you feel uncomfortable saying cripple, you can say it for our, our benefit. Yeah, but only if you're praising our podcast. If you're saying yeah. don't listen to Cripple Threat, then that's <laughs> a list. 
Then you have to say, don't listen to C-word threat. Yeah. Yeah, and then people will be unclear on what you're talking about and move on. Yeah. We were thinking of, of the of the title invalid opinions like invalid opinions but then yeah that also didn't really feel quite right invalid is not a word i'm comfortable with no neither am i but cripple is honestly a stretch for me yeah well it's not a word i've ever said up until this podcast to be honest it definitely toes the line like i remember the first time i heard the, the the cripple word as an adult like in my 20s in ottawa was was from an attendant. Really? Who I believe considered himself provocative at the time. I'm still close enough with them that he could potentially appear appear on this podcast one day, but I don't think I'll ever call him out for doing it. I, no, no person ever called me a cripple in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can believe it. Except for maybe an orthopedic surgeon who was born in the mid-30s. I've never been called cripple in any capacity, like... As an insult or in jest or like lightheartedly by a friend. It's mm-hmm. not a word that I hear very often. What would they call you in reference to your disability? Like in what sense? Like as a to try to get under my skin or? No, just like as a term of endearment. I, I don't think it's ever about my disability. Yeah. Like I don't think I ever get like people make jokes about my disability. Yeah. They'll be like. You know, I, I don't know, like a joke about my ability to uh, participate in a situation in a hilarious way because of my disability. Uh-huh. But it's never just like, hey, crippled dude or whatever. <laughs> like you can't even imagine um, a situation where somebody would use that word effectively. I remember it, I was in elementary school once, and this is probably the only time I was bullied. I was like going down the hall from from somewhere to my class and some kid in the hallway was like, oh, what's up, wheelchair boy, or something like that. It didn't bother me at all. I was like, yeah, that's me. He's talking to me. They called you wheelchair boy? Yeah, it, but it was, I don't know. Is that offensive? I I don't, I don't I know. I guess it's like, offensive on paper to just use that as the defining identity of a person. Like that's like saying like what up crutches kid? Yeah, but that that's not that harmful. I know that's like a Joe that's like an insult written by like written by a writer for a teen high school drama on TVO or something. Yeah. Like public access television. No, and I think I was probably in fourth grade or something. So but the thing is, I remember just literally not caring, going to class. And then when I got to class, everyone was looking at me. And I guess they'd heard it in the hallway. Oh, yeah. And so my teacher was like, who was that? And I was like, oh, I don't know, just like that, whatever, whatever. And she, like, went out, got him, pulled him into class, made him apologize to me, which is, like, pretty gangster for the teacher. Yeah. But it was so embarrassing to me. I would rather just be wheelchair boy forever. Did you like the teacher? Yeah, she was a good teacher, and I I think she was doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Did she ever have like a history of the of of those types of displays? I don't think I ever remembered another one. I'm just trying to figure out if she was like kind of power. Uh... No, I think she was just very offended on my behalf. <laughs> yeah, but it it really didn't bother me, and 
bullying now is probably way, way worse. I would think so, yeah. I, I remember, like, I got the occasional people, like, making jokes, like, hey, don't run me over, I come in peace, or whatever. And I think that annoyed me more than being called wheelchair boy. You know what really annoyed me as a kid and still somewhat annoys me now with my parents as an adult? Is when able-bodied people um, encourage you to hurry up. That that bothers me to no end. Really? Like, in, yeah. in, like when you're going somewhere with them and you're the last in the line? Like, come on, let's go. Come on, James. Let's go. Shoes on. Let's go, James. Come on. <laughs> right. Let's go. Move, move. Come on, James. That's that's my my family, my mom. Why do you think it bothers you so much? Well, I mean, in part, I mean, a lot of it could be that I'm ill-prepared and whatever, and I should have thought of these things before leaving. And a lot of it is also that it's hard to move. So you think that they're not understanding? Like I do think that my my parents do not quite understand CP. Yes, I do, to be honest. I mean, I just made the same joke to you. I was like, you ready to start recording? You're like, yep. And I was like, okay, but your camera's not on. You're not in the call. <laughs> well, I know, but you know that I am capable of operating a, a computer basically at the same rate as an able-bodied person. Yeah, it's your job. So you know that when I am slow in that context, then I am actually being, you know, a lazy bastard. I guess it would be a lot different if I was like, can you walk any faster? Right. Could you just transfer a bit quicker, please? We and, have places and, to go. And don't get me wrong, like, people are not just, like, plainly rude about it. Like, they they will qualify it. Like, I know it takes you a while, but let's go. Like, you've known we've got to do this and yeah. blah, blah, blah. But it's, like, the number one way that I feel lesser than uh, sometimes, like, with friends. It seems so petty, but it, it's a thing. Do you still have laces on your shoes? I do. I still have laces on my shoes. I have some shoes with laces. Like you're a person who likes to wear shoes that look good on you. And sometimes laces are unavoidable, right? Yeah. No, I have laces, but I, I always just end up tying them up and then never untying them again. Yeah. I'm not like that. So you tie them up. I, I can't tie my laces. So I have to get people. Well, that's what I was getting at. Yeah. So I need to be ready, like out of, Courtesy to the people who need to like uh, travel oh, with me, yeah. of course. I I don't think I'm making a very good case for why I'm frustrated, but no, you're not. Other people with cerebral palsy would understand. But yeah, it's like also it's probably that thing where the more they're like, "Come on, hurry up," the more anxious you get, which just slows you down. Yeah, and then there's the whole thing, like you know about CP brain fog, right? Yeah. Like, this is a thing that you have friends who kind of endure it, and I have it as well, where some days you're just not that acute. Like, you don't have access to your body as much as you'd like, and so things take longer. Showering might take a whole evening for every fucking reason. Because you have to, like, organize the steps and then organize, like, all of the motor requirements that have to happen in order for you to perform that task. Yeah, for me to get out of the shower, it's like it's like fairly simple on paper, right? I just like shuffle my butt over to the lip of the tub, then I pick my right wait, leg wait, up wait, over. Wait, wait, wait. 
And the Cole's Bryant's for this one. Yeah, you got That's a picture of really me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Kizer, okay. Can you just describe the bathroom a bit for me? But it, it's okay because, like, hair generally obscures the dirty bits, so it, you don't have to imagine much. I'm not, I'm not visualizing your dick. I'm just <laughs> I'm trying to get an idea of the room layout and, like, which side of the tub you're getting in from. Picture an unfinished ba- bathroom with an unusually wide doorway that used to be like a linen closet, yeah. but then got knocked out so we could fit wheelchairs into the bathroom. Okay. And then the walls are like a weird teal color with that like paint tape all over the perimeter because... Weird teal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teal's like my favorite color. Yeah, and then there's like an array of like six or seven lights like across the the main, the main mirror of the bathroom. Okay. And there's like a large... Like a, like a makeup mirror. Yeah, yeah. And there's like a large... There's a large like... But like set of bathroom drawers and a countertop. Is it a full length mirror? Yeah, full length, full length. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So yeah. Just stare at yourself in the mirror before you transfer. Yeah. Is the joke that I use unnecessary details when telling stories? No, there's no joke. I'm just. I've never seen your bathroom. It's it's really ugly and unfinished, and it needs to be retrofitted, but it hasn't happened. I like the color teal, so in my mind, it's a very nice bathroom. Continue. Continue. All right. So there's a there's like like I said, a bunch of cupboards that lead all the way across the bathroom to the toilet mm-hmm. because it used to be that I couldn't fit my walker or wheelchair into the bathroom. So I'd have to hi- sidestep to the can. But now that we knocked out the linen closet, I can just go directly in. OK, so you walk in and you're facing the tub. You walk in and you're facing the counter and on the left is the toilet and uh, directly in front of you is like the the bathroom cupboards. Okay. And then to your left is a standard tub. Where's the mirror in all this? The mirror's on the wall directly in front of you. Oh, so it's not a full length mirror. Huh? It's a large mirror. But it doesn't go way to the floor. Well, I guess it's a it's a sixty nine aspect ratio mirror. Vertically? <laughs> Horizontally. Oh, okay. That's definitely the opposite of a full-length mirror. What is that? It's not, what length? Full-length mirror is like when you can see your shoes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, then it's not that, but it's... Like what they have in dressing rooms. Okay. Continue. I'm getting hung up on weird details. I've only ever purchased furniture at a fucking Ikea. I don't know anything about furniture. Well, Ikea sells full-length mirrors. <laughs> That's a terrible excuse. I know, but like... The frequency you can take it is a full nightmare. <laughs> Am I just de- derailing our episode today? Sorry, listeners. No, I'm really curious how you transfer to the tub. So so this tub, it's like a standard issue tub, okay? Regulation tub? Yeah, like, you know, with the large lip that comes like three feet off the ground. Yeah. Yep, and it's like, and you wonder how any even able-bodied people get into it because you figure it's slippery and non-ergonomic, and there's no, oh, yeah. there's nothing sticky on the bottom of the tub to prevent you from losing, like your balance and just sliding in like a fucking baby. I don't know. I've never liked ba- bags. Like I, I like hot tubs. I like I'll sit in a bathtub, but just yeah. to relax, not to get clean. I used to like them as a kid because they were big enough that they felt like an entire room in and of themselves. Yeah, and you can play with your duckies. Yeah, but then when you get too big enough like to throw in your action figures with the with the bath water, then it becomes like you're kind of trapped in a weird, slippery 
cocoon. And the minute you find your center of gravity and actually sit up, you get tired and lose it and fall back again. Right. So it's this like, there's this general feeling of helplessness during an experience that is supposed to be ostensibly fucking relaxing. Okay, so can I guess how your transfer goes just based on your layout description of the bathroom? Only if it's funny. If it's boring, don't bother. Okay, so what I'm guessing is you go into the bathroom, uh-huh. you turn right, or sorry, you turn left. Yes. Right, it's a toilet. You turn left, and there's a bathtub. So you put your wheelchair in the top gear, uh-huh. and you drive forward very quickly, uh-huh. and you hit the bathtub. Yeah. And the, the stopping momentum of your chair yeah. stops the chair, but you keep going uh-huh. and you somersault into the tub. Yeah, perfect and execution. all of that yeah. splashing gets mm-hmm. you clean and you're already done your bath. Yeah. Because yep. you have that turbulence in your water. Uh, I go into the tub head first and I just sit there until until I'm clean. <laughs> you just... Just start drinking the water till it's empty. It's the only way to drain it. So I have five <laughs> minutes to to bathe and um cl- and fucking get out of there yeah. before drowning. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. No, I have a shitty shower chair that sits over top of the tub, and I have to do and like slide a slide over. No, it, it the lip slides over the tub. The end of the chair goes over the tub. And I have to do a dip to get onto the seat. And then I got to like push myself back. Right. And then I got to like pivot my legs 90 degrees over the lip and into the tub. Yeah. That's probably the hardest part. Well, yeah. No, the hardest part is pulling the shower curtain over and pushing it into the open lip of the shower chair such that... Oh, so you don't flood the toilet. Yeah, such that no water gets out, so that I don't hear the like ire of an angry Ukrainian after I'm finished bathing. Right. So you'd be like, is it Noah's Ark in here, Joe, or are you trying to bathe yourself? You can get bathtubs with doors. I know, like that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to completely retrofit that bathroom so that it's actually like to code accessible. Yeah. But we just haven't done it because of COVID and whatever, because while that bathroom is being renovated, I basically have no way to shower. Right. Would you prefer a rolling shower or bathtub with a door? I don't know. I feel like at some point I would open the door. And then have a funny story to tell. Like open it when the tub is full? Yeah, like I would slip and accidentally hit the hatch and then all the fucking water would come out spilling. Yeah, that does sound more fun. You should do that. Yeah, yeah. I would do it maybe if I had like a drain in the center of the room. I always casually look at other apartments, sometimes here, sometimes in other cities, just to kind of see like, what can money buy you? What could I... What could I possibly have, right? Uh-huh. And it's surprising. Even for more money, a lot of apartments are less accessible than what I have. Yeah, man. It's like you can't put a dollar value on accessibility. No, like even even on websites where you can search for wheelchair access, uh-huh. it usually just means there's an elevator in the building. I know. It's really pathetic. It's almost like we should start a business where we create accessible spaces and find funding to have them built. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of it is that there are many people in wheelchairs that would be able to afford like market rent, nice, accessible apartments. So mm-hmm. those aren't the people 
the people that can are not the people that they're marketing and building for. Also, you end up with these subsidy, low cost, very accessible, but not that great. You know, what's funny too, like able-bodied people are too proud to create and occupy accessible spaces. Yeah, that's a weird one. It's so weird. Like, why can't you just use a a step-free roll-in shower? For those who don't know, a roll-in shower just means there's no lip to get in. You just, it's just all one floor. There's still a shower curtain. It's still, you can put a bench if you want. You don't have to. Yeah. It just, it's, it's just a shower. Yeah. The only difference is there's no threshold. And what what difference does that make? Exactly. When you're showering, are you like, well, I really hope there's a step to separate me from the rest of the bathroom. Yeah, I'm not a real man unless there's a possibility that I could trip over a lip in my shower and fall on my <laughs> face. Yeah. I want to make sure all the cockroaches stay in here. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, yeah, it's, just it's get, very silly. It doesn't make sense. I, I have a 99-year-old grandmother who is amazing. She's, like, on my mom's side. She's not at all, like, affected by her age, cognitively speaking. And she has a wonderful sense of humor. I know I'm using a whole lot of um, language that might offend me if it was used toward me. Yeah, I do the same thing with older people because, again, this word offends me often, but they're inspiring, right? To be able to see someone that old, like, the odds are against you, but you're just crushing it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And just someone who's lived like three times my lifetime or or two more times my lifetime and is still thriving is is pretty fucking cool, right? That is honestly something that we should think about when when we get offended that people are inspired by us. Like the fact that we get inspired by your grandma. Mm-hmm. Either we shouldn't be allowed to get inspired by your grandma or people shouldn't be allowed to get inspired by us. Really? You think so? Yeah. But like time equals experience equals wisdom equals like something invaluable that we could always learn from. Maybe it's different because you know your grandma. So you know her as a full person. Yeah. And she still inspires you. You're not just projecting a bunch of thoughts about what she might be onto her. Yeah. So but anyway, I was almost about to say something disparaging about my grandma. Okay, I'm ready for that. I think we've said enough nice stuff that you're allowed. Okay, thanks, Tony. So my grandma like just got a walker. I, I guess she she lives on her own, right, at 99 years old. And there's like a pretty steep staircase to get into her basement. And I think she's had some troubles like going down there to get stuff of late over the past few years. So she's had a couple of close calls. And kind of finally accepted, like, okay, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll use a walker when I'm in environments where I'm not totally comfortable or familiar. And so she just started using it. And, like, she does very, very well with it. Like, she doesn't really need it, but it's there to help her, you know, feel safe and keep her center of gravity and whatnot. And sometimes I think about this, and, like, this is a very selfish thought, but, like, my 99-year-old grandma, who has lived the fullest life that, like, our like contemporary society can conceive of in terms of amount of time on this earth. Yeah. Like has a more, has a a better center of gravity and mastery of her body than disabled people. I know like 
in the prime of their lives. So you're jealous? I, I don't know if it's jealousy, but it's it just like, it's, it's just like, <laughs> I don't know what to really conclude from that, except that it, it, like that very thought just like is interesting to me. It's like whenever I feel like blaming myself for my disability, I just think about that. I guess she was able-bodied her whole life. She like I I mean she still pretty much is able bodied. Yeah. She's only just started using a mobility aid. But you know what I mean? Like she's lived her whole life. You're jealous. It's honestly jealousy. Is it jealousy? Yeah, I guess. I think so. You're like, how come you can be ninety nine years old and I can't just have a shower without falling into the bathtub? But the thing but the thing that gets me is that like well, like when able bodied bodies start to fail, like people, like you can feel like everyone else, like kind of, what do I, how do I put this? I don't, I don't even know. I, I should have thought about this before I even like raised the subject, but it's like, okay, when an older person starts to deteriorate and everyone starts talking about whether or not they should live independently or what should be done for them so that they can keep you know, doing what they do and living a meaningful life. It's like, it seems like the end of the world. And the end of the world for an able-bodied person is not even the beginning for most disabled people. You know what I mean? Well, that happens a lot with like people who are in accidents and then become paralyzed. They'll they'll be super able-bodied. And then all of a sudden their whole disability, their whole ability level changes they're now disabled it's easy for them to just not have any frame of reference for what that would be yeah. so they just kind of short circuit but your grandma has like slowly very slowly over the course of 99 years so she's had time to adapt yeah but not only that like it's sort of understood that when you get to a certain threshold of age, it's like permissible for your body to deteriorate. Well, that's just because it's common, right? Like every old person at some point gets weak and there's just no no way around that, really. Yeah. But when you see an able-bodied person in their 30s and everyone else you know in your 30s is not disabled... It's easy to to not ha- you don't have a frame of reference for what that thirty year old should be able to or what kind of standards we should be able to hold. Like I remember, I started dating a girl years ago. We'd gone on a few dates. We we had great chemistry and everything was honestly like pretty good in my mind, and I think in her mind too because we went out a number of times. But eventually it ended, and she was like. I I really tried, I really liked you, and I wanted to be able to make this work. But realistically, the only other person I know in a wheelchair is my grandma, and I just don't know how to get my head around that. And it destroyed me, but I think that's kind of what I'm getting at, is people just don't really have like a frame of reference for a, a, a disabled person in their prime, as you said. Because they see everyone else hiking and jogging and biking and running. And you're just like trying to get into the bathtub. Yeah. So you basically have the body of a 
140-year-old compared to your grandma. <laughs> and people are like, what is happening? He's 30. Like, it's just like a hard thing for people to understand. You have like an old person's body, but without the wisdom? Okay, so if, if we're using your grandma as a baseline, she's 99 and just started using a walker. So that means I would say you're 119. Yeah? Yeah. Does that okay. feel right? Yeah, like approaching like centennial drinking age. Yeah, which puts me at 157. 157. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that works. So your freedom 155, like you're about to retire. Yeah, so disabled people live to be 200 years old. Okay. On this timeline. Makes sense. Do you think this is like kind of indulgent and offensive to even be talking about older people in this context? No, because I think getting old is a, a disability in itself. Yeah. If you have to use a walker or a mobility aid, whether you like it or not, that's a disability. And that is realistically the argument that a lot of people have been using for years to try to make environments more accessible. Yeah. They're like, everyone is going to be disabled in some way eventually. So why not just cater to that level of ability, but do it more prevalently so that the people who are able but or disabled in their 30s can still get around. Mm -hmm. I, I know people who have who are disabled and they, the only place they were able to live was a nursing home. But they were like in their 20s. You know, people, what, what, why are you using the past tense? Are you talking about people, are you talking about people our age? Yeah, but the person I was thinking had passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. So I think also what I was trying to allude to via this anecdote about my grandma and her walker is like, I think the way people talk about how to cope with and deal with an aging, like elderly family member somewhat betrays how they also feel about disability. What do you mean? Because it's like kind of one in the same. Um, so like, I think that people say things about the realities of aging that they would never say about the realities of disability because they're not really afraid of being overheard or being like misinterpreted by an elderly person. Right. So the things people say behind closed doors about the elderly are things they actually think like in an ableist discriminatory sense about the disabled experience. And it's just, they would never, ever say it. Because there's no stigma attached to getting old, but there's still a social stigma for being disabled. Yeah. Well, because like they, they would protect us from those thoughts yeah. because uh, because disability is in some sense unnatural to them. It's like an exception. And and aging is something that will happen to them. It's a natural process of life. And therefore, they can be more frank about it or more real because, because it's something that, that they will also have to endure at some point. Yeah. So it's like, in a way, their way of coping with their own mortality. Well, also, I think it's because a lot of people... Again, because they don't really have a frame of reference, they end up having to just project how they're going to feel in your situation. Yeah. So then they don't want to say something that might offend you, and they think it, they think it will offend you because they don't really understand how you cope. So your ability to cope is 
personal to you and subjective, but they are projecting how they would feel onto it. I think you need an example to make that clear. Like when someone says, oh, wow, that must be so hard. And really in any context, and if, if they say that about your disabled life, mm-hmm. oh, that must be so hard to wake up every morning or something. Yeah. It's easy for you to be like, well, it's not. They're saying that because they don't really have any other frame of reference except it probably would be hard if they were you. They just can't imagine being you. Right. And so rather than like actually imagine it, they say it must be hard. Should we talk about this movie? Yeah, let's talk about cake. Were you eating cake while you watched it? Like you mean to get in to get in character or get in the mood? Well, I just know that like your parents love to have dessert on hand. So I was hoping that you would have some cake and watch it too. <laughs> no, I didn't eat any cake while watching it. Um, and actually I was having fun kind of like imagining what the movie would be about if it was pertaining to disability, if the title was like slightly more direct. Like imagine if it was just literally a movie about a person with cerebral palsy baking a cake and taking an entire 90 minutes to like get get it from like the pan or pot or something to the oven. It would be amazing if that movie was them overcoming so many little obstacles to, you know, get the flour out of the top cupboard. Yes. They're covered in flour because it falls on their lap and then they have to scrape it off because that was the only flour they had left. Yeah. So now they're putting like pants flour into the bowl and they're scraping pants flour off their lap, putting that in the bowl and then they get the sugar and they pour the sugar in, but it's too much sugar. So then they need to add more flour. Yeah. But it's just a whole process. They eventually mix it. It takes a, 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 you know, they're, they're overcoming so many things. They throw it in the oven. In my mind, the last scene is like they pull it out of the oven and it falls on the floor and then just rolls to credit. So exactly that. Like minute zero is them getting all the like raw materials ready to like prepare the cake batter. Yeah. And then like you said, their kitchen isn't optimally like configured. So they have to spend an inordinate amount of time like getting things from high cupboards and pouring things in the right amount. And occasionally they don't pour the right amount, so it drops all over the floor. Or they you know, like they have a number of failed attempts. And by the end of the movie, they finally have a cake, like even frosted, like they've spent the last 15 minutes frosting it and making it look absolutely perfect, like with one hand, like sort of at an awkward angle, doing that like spastic thing with a knife, uh, trying to, like, have you ever... Seen somebody with CP, like, trying to spread butter across toast? No, but that might be my new favorite Twitch channel. <laughs> it generally is, like, an enormously time-consuming and pretty pathetic looking, at least when I do it. Can we have that clip? Yeah, I can butter toast for you later if you want. Thank you. I'll put it on the Instagram. So 15 minutes of the film would literally just be, like, spreading the, like, the, the, sugar, the sugar icing. Yeah. Like, all over it and stuff. And then they put, like... They put they they like use like was it just an elaborate plan for you to talk about desserts <laughs> for the whole episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just 
Googled Kate and a movie came up and you're like, oh, okay, let's watch that. Yeah, well, so my, like, I was going to say the same thing, except, like, just as they're bringing the cake, like, from the kitchen island, like, on a tray on, on, on their chair, like, to the to the dinner table to present to their immediate family, they, like, sneeze, like, not on the cake, but, like, off to the side appropriately. Yeah. But then the spastic force of the sneeze lurches them forward and, like, into the cake. Or it's, like... Everyone sees all the work that you did. Yeah. And you have a beautiful cake on your lap. Yeah. And you're rolling up to the table. Everyone's sitting around ready for this cake. Yeah. And they applaud. But the sound of the applause scares you. Yeah. And startles you enough to spasm. And you throw the cake on the floor. Yeah. Your knee comes up from under your chair and hits the tray. And pops the cake up. And then in slow motion, it lurches up into the air and everyone watches it fall down onto the ground is it bad that even when we write a really movie it ends in tragedy do you know how many fucking times i've dropped a plate of food i was so eager to eat dozens yeah dozens my friends know not to make me laugh when i'm drinking out of a cup because i will spill it's honestly one of my favorite activities yeah i hate you all right so why what was this movie actually about Cake was about um, Jennifer Aniston suffering from chronic pain. And in addition to chronic pain, the profound grief of the loss of a child. And basically, um, all the ways in which her uh, her path to recovery is thwarted by people who don't believe that she's in pain or by her grief basically like winning and her trying to cope with it via substance abuse but then failing. Well, she doesn't really do herself any favors. No, that's true. So, yeah, Cake is about a a woman who is attending grief counseling for the loss of a family member. She's really, really angry, and she's in a lot of pain. And I think the remarkable thing about this movie is not necessarily basically like what happens to Jennifer Aniston, but it's almost like you're watching the film... For the look on her face, like it's so evident in her body language that she's in pain, that she's like deeply depressed and that it's it's like kind of put her in an in an emotional and in a kind of physical paralysis. Like she can move, but she doesn't have full range of motion. Like it looks like like every inch that she moves through the world is that much more painful. And like she wears this like general anger all over her face and you're watching the film sort of just wondering how her frustration with her the current moment will manifest it opens with her in a group home or sorry not a group it opens with her in a counseling session yeah and and one of the it's it's her session for chronic pain and one of the members of that group has recently committed suicide. And everyone's kind of reeling about it because this person was a bit of a light in their world, I think. And they weren't expecting her to react this way to her situation. And so everyone is mourning in the in the middle of tears. And Jennifer Aniston is kind of sitting stoically in the middle of it all. And she kind of refuses to say what she feels. You can tell that she... Um, 
is not okay with the situation that she might have actually cared for her friend who killed herself but she's unable to say so and uh that kind of sets the tone for most of the movie that follows one thing i liked about the movie is the actual plot of the movie unfolds the same like you as you're watching it start to figure out all of the pieces and how they fit together yeah it doesn't like even at the beginning when they're in the support group talking everything through we don't really know who they're talking about what happened we don't really know much we don't know anything except that jennifer aniston is kind of a bitch yeah like we we all we sort of know that they're in a in a workshop for people with chronic pain because of the pamphlet that jennifer aniston is holding in her hand we know that she doesn't want to be there and that she doesn't quite share the the collective feeling of the room and she just wants to spoil it because she's angry at the world. That's all we know. And the movie is like really wonderfully written because, as you say, Anthony, it only tells you exactly what you need to know moment to moment. And it's always showing you these details and never explicitly writing it. Yeah. Even when they're trying to do exposition, they do it in an interesting way where it's like they'll give her a hallucination but they'll preface the hallucination with her taking too many drugs or painkillers. So it's never it's never just like a random hallucination just for the point of exposition. Mm-hmm. It feels like you're just living the moment with her. Yeah, it's a it's a product of her desire to be like constantly distracted from the grief that she has yet to sort of confront. Yeah. Even I would say probably 75% of the way through the movie, we don't exactly know why Jennifer Aniston is so preoccupied with this member of the, of the chronic pain group having committed suicide, because we know that she sort of thinks that the whole ritual of therapy or that whole environment is kind of a joke. She doesn't really respect the counselor at the head of it. Like, kind of understanding Jennifer Aniston's headspace and, you know, why she does what she does is a work that we we in the audience have to do, and it's quite rewarding. You, you're, you're always sort of engaged, like, asking questions and trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Yeah. And it's, it's very, very well done. For example, like, I should... I kind of ruined my synopsis by saying that uh, Jen lost a child because the movie doesn't actually explicitly tell us that exactly. until like, like two thirds of the way through the film. Um, we know, we know that she's in pain, that she takes a lot of meds that uh, are not legal or that she's acquired illicitly somehow. We, we see her go um, have a meeting with her doctor and sort of socially engineer her into um, giving her more pills and we also see what she might have been like pre her incident, because whenever she does try to charm people, she knows exactly how to light up her face in order to, you know, be presentable and likable, even though there's not a moment of her existence that she enjoys. And again, that's the most fascinating part of the movie is that she nails exactly what it's like to be in the middle of pain that is that that is taking a part of you away from the immediate moment of your life and is just like 
it's it sucks and you know that it sucks for her and she is like a rich upper middle class white lady that is hard to sympathize with because she chronically mistreats the people who are only there to help her but also there's the sense that even those institutions or safeguards or whatever that are there to try to help her get better are not sufficient. You know, like when she expresses her anger about her group member's suicide to the therapy group that is supposed to be there to be understanding of these kinds of extreme emotions, they respond by telling her to look elsewhere. (laughs) And when she complains to her physiotherapist that her physio is fucking painful. Uh, the therapist says the same thing. I think we even have a clip for that. Hey, you have to focus. I am focused. No, no, you're not. It fucking hurts. Yeah, you had pins in your legs for over a year. It's gonna hurt. Your doctor wants me to write an assessment. Oh, what? Am I... Fancy ballet moves? No, on why there's been zero improvement in six months. I have shown up to every fucking appointment. Well, then maybe you would do better with, uh, someone else. Okay, great. You can hear it in her voice, like, just that she's so fed up with all of this, and she wants it to end, and, like, And people don't react with empathy. They don't understand why she's angry. And I I don't know, like, can you relate with that? I can definitely relate with that. Like people not thinking that you're trying hard enough to, you're not doing your best. Or maybe that your attitude is poor. Yeah. Or that, you know, like you just need to power through and persevere and all that crap. I sort of got the opposite treatment, honestly. It was like... Everything I did was a miracle. People were so impressed that I would make it to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole town cheered when I would like say something at church or something. Yeah, did you get interviewed by Oprah? No, but I was on her shortlist for sure. By the time she gets to you, she might not even be famous enough for you to care. No, not anymore. I definitely missed the window. Now you're in the likes of like Lance Armstrong and like like royalty and fuck that shit. You're way more interesting in interview subject. I think I put more pressure on myself than other people put on me. Mm. I'm trying to think of an example. Tell yours and then maybe I'll think of one. I don't know if I have an example. I, I just like, I mean, like I've said, since I've hit my 30s, like I've kind of slowed down with certain things. that I used to do a lot to kind of maintain like physical fitness because it hurts a lot more and it feels like I'm not doing anything to benefit my body, my shoulders. um, It's it's like a major strain on my shoulders to walk with my K walker uh, on like sidewalks or, you know, outdoor terrain essentially. So I've kind of cut that back pretty significantly and my biking my biking is hard on my knees at certain resistances, so I I dial it back and just focus on getting my heart rate up for 20, 25 minutes. I haven't asked you, have you still been using your stairs? Yeah, of course. Yeah, still working out? Yep, the stairs are still there. They're still, still useful. 
<laughs> so anyway, uh, I think the movie's really well done. And one of the reasons why it's kind of remarkable to me is um, wait, wait. I wanted to, I wanted to say, I think, I think I have a bit of a disability whole pass because I look very disabled, at least like compared to you. I okay. You always say the word "very" and it makes me uncomfortable. Okay, I look more disabled than you do. Yes. If if you and I were out together, uh huh, and we were at like a restaurant, I wouldn't be surprised if they asked you what I wanted for dinner. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Right. And then I would feel I would feel so uncomfortable with that. What would you order for me? What would I order for you? Oh, it would have to be like, I would order you butter chicken and I would ask them to cut the chicken into smaller pieces. That's a perfect order. So it's probably a good thing they asked you because I wouldn't have made an order that good. But my point is, because I have a bit of a disability hall pass, I think people give me the benefit of the doubt that I'm doing okay. And that I'm like pushing myself to my limits, even if that's not necessarily true. And we've talked about this before. I don't really know if my friends check me on that enough. Um, I don't know if maybe I'm actually doing okay, all, all things considered, or if my friends are giving me that disability hall pass. Compared to you, mm-hmm. because you're on the cusp, like you're able to transfer, you're able to shower, you know, the only real thing you need help with is like, the odd, you know, or not the odd thing, putting your shoes on, maybe. Everything fine motor, except typing. Sure. But those things aren't, they, they don't happen to you daily, do they? Well, no. Right. But then my life is very, like, limited to the things that I can do. And I never yeah. really push myself outside of that. You're a bit of a cat wheelie. Like, you could be left alone for a few days and still survive <laughs> if there's food left out. <laughs> Right. Actually, yeah, like that's kind of the sensation whenever my parents go on trips. Yeah, you're a cat wheelie. They're like, all right, we filled the fr- we filled the freezer with things you can make in the toaster oven. Yeah. Okay, don't die. Bye. We'll check in every once in a while to make sure you're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll make your uncle will pop in now and again just to make sure you're not dead on the floor. Yeah. Okay, bye. You treat like a cat, but for me. I wouldn't get through a day without an attendant. Yeah. I don't know why you say that. Like, it's such a sad thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) You do need a lot of help. (laughs) I don't even know what showering must be like. (laughs) I wish we could capture your expression for when you said that, because it was perfect. Because you're like, okay, Jamie, hurry up. Put your shoes on. You're fine. And I'm like... People look at me and go, wow, you're wearing shoes. Good for you. Yeah, but like, I, I don't know, like we've said over and over and over and over, your mindfulness of your needs is a reflection of your competency. Like, <laughs> you know what you need and therefore you're not lazy. I, I don't know. People who don't look after themselves, like who don't look after their vessel to the extent that they can, they're they're not aware of what they can do for themselves and therefore they're they're doing a disservice, but I don't think you ever really do yourself a disservice in any way. And I'm sure 
like your friends close to you would say the fucking same thing. And the reason people look at you and think you're doing okay is because your decisions are, are like, are always like an optimal service to you. Like, I don't know, man, you're, you're. So you're saying that's not true for you? Yes. You, you don't think that's true for you? No. From where I'm sitting, it's just as true for you as it is for me. Well, I don't know. I, I, but I will say I'm definitely not a cat wheelie. I'm like a puppy wheelie. Like I'm like the wheelie where you can leave me alone for a few hours, but you're going to need to like check on me multiple times a day. Yeah, but dogs don't know how to like report their needs. Okay, so let me try again with an animal that can speak. <laughs> this is getting into some weird territory. But yeah, like Jennifer Aniston's character in this movie, like uh, doesn't know how to cope with her newfound disability. Right. And when you layer when you layer the grief on top of it, like the only thing kind of keeping her together is the fact that she has a lot of money. Yes. Like yeah. the 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 benefits of her old life are keeping her afloat. And she sort of knows it, which is why instead of trying to figure out a way to be nice and kind to the people that do help her, like you can see on her face that she knows that that's how she should be. And some part of her wants to be nice, but instead she just throws money at people or she throws money at her problems or she invokes the people from her old life that will be able to use their authority and privilege to, to get to get her out of certain situations. Like she gets caught at the Mexican border in Tijuana with illicit drugs, and she has to call her ex-husband to use his legal pull to get her out of any kind of bind. I don't know. There are countless examples of her abusing privilege. And this movie came out in 2015, which is sort of pre... I guess it's, it's after... Uh, Occupy Wall Street, but sort of before the uh, the general disdain toward wealth became quite prominent. And so this movie isn't really comfortable saying that she's a villain, but it will say in certain anecdotal situations that she is a bitch. And it does talk about her privilege a little bit, at least in this one scene. Do you have prescriptions? I thought we, I thought we didn't need prescriptions. Well, in the border, unless you have prescriptions, they will take them away. Okay, so what do we do? What do we do? Can we open up Mary here? Oh, that seems really, really tricky. What if we get caught? You're a rich white woman. Have you ever been caught in anything? Will you just get me something other than Mary? I have problems with anything religious. I think you have bigger problems. Perceptivo. Yeah, Mary is just like a statuette that they fill, like that's hollowed out in order to fill with prescription drugs or whatever. I remember one time someone bought me a gift and it was a Pringles can with a false bottom so you could store stuff in the bottom. Which you kind of need in order to like uh, hide drugs from your attendance on occasion, right? I used it, yeah, because I've been stolen from before. Yeah. And so I put stuff in the bottom and then eventually 
hilariously ironic. What happened was... I can't sing today, Tony. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you sing? (laughs) So one day an attendant was in my apartment and I was like in the bathroom or some, some other place and they just started raiding my snack cupboard and opened up uh, an empty or opened up this old can of Pringles because there was actually chips in it, but it was years old at this point. Opened it up, tried one. Obviously, they tasted like trash. And so she threw them out with the stuff in the bottom and I couldn't, I just had to let it go. What? You couldn't go retrieve it from the garbage? It was, I just didn't, I didn't feel like having a whole conversation about, oh, actually, can you just take the jars out of the bottom first? Why? I wasn't that attached to them. So you're saying you have better self-control than Jennifer Aniston? Jennifer Aniston is on, like, Percocets and, like, real painkillers. Yeah. Maybe we should play this Way to Go Gina clip just so that we give a good picture of how she's kind of a little insufferable. And super angry. Super angry and, like, bitter, but also just insensitive. So this is, like, early on in the movie, they're in the support group, and everyone is trying to uh, emote to a picture of the person who just died, who just killed themselves, played by Anna Kendrick. So they're all looking at her, putting their feelings out in the open to try to get some closure and relief. And Jennifer Aniston's not really buying it. And so she's just, it's her turn. And what about you, Claire? What about me? Would you like to say something to Nina? No. You know, it might make you feel better to get in touch with your feelings. Well, then in that case, yeah, I do have a question. Go ahead. She jumped off a freeway overpass, right? Specifically where the 110 meets the 105? Yes, but... And is it true that she landed on a flatbed truck that was full of used furniture that was heading to Mexico? Claire, we should be focusing on our feelings. And that no one discovered the body until it reached Acapulco. That was like more than 2,000 miles away. And that they then sent her body back in a Rubbermaid cooler, which then got stuck in customs for like a week before Nina's husband could even claim it. Way to go, Nina. So in that moment, she's like refusing to pay respect to like the sanctity of a, of a dead person. Yeah. Basically like painting a, a horrific picture of what would have happened to this poor woman's body after she killed herself. So throughout the film, Aniston is haunted by the ghost of the woman who is played by Anna Kendrick, who, you know, is bright and cheery and, and hopeful, like in her general presentation. That's her whole vibe as an actress. And she brings that into this movie. And throughout the film, like you're wondering, like, why, why is she dreaming? Why is she tortured by this, this little, like pretty girl? You know, like if she really doesn't care about her, why can't she stop thinking about her? And the way I look at it is like, Anna Kendrick for 
Jen must have been a kind of a source of hope or optimism for her, you know, because Kendrick also suffered from chronic pain and yet she was a light. And so Jennifer Aniston couldn't figure that out. Her very existence was a kind of hope. And then Kendrick goes and kills herself. And like that's what sort of starts Jennifer Aniston's spiral into over abusing the drugs that she's already abusing and erratic, aggressive behavior and crossing the border to get more drugs and having contentious conversations with her ex-husband and uh, like reckless sex with like the pool boy or whatever. And you sort of, yeah, I don't know. It's a really fascinating movie. This movie kind of could have suffered from indie film syndrome, which is like, you know, that like requisite quirkiness of a movie starring a big name actress in a low budget production where they play an offbeat damaged character totally against type. And they try to they, they like they make a slapdash uh, attempt to change their image or something. Um, and, you know, Jennifer Aniston coming off of the biggest and most like inane sitcom of all time. You know, she plays Rachel in Friends. And so she's always been kind of typecast as like a kind of early 90s uh, sex symbol. I think she was probably the most talented actress on that show. And she proved to have comedic chops in Mike, the Mike Judge movie Office Space and all kinds of... Um, she has all kinds of really interesting accolades throughout her career that suggest the talent that she actually brings to this movie in particular. There's also the trope when a, when a very pretty actress such as Aniston um, dresses herself down. Like Think like Charlize Theron in Monster. And I can't think of any other examples at the moment, but it's definitely a thing. Um, and you would, you would think maybe that this movie would, would get caught in those trappings where people would fall in love with it because Aniston is choosing to play against type and it, it, like her, her beauty is de-emphasized. Um, and she's an angry and ugly individual in this film. But I think the way that it, it handles grief, disability as well, is, is quite effective. Like it's, it's a, it's a good fucking movie. In her quest to understand Anna Kendrick and why she killed herself, she actually bribes her counselor into giving contact information for Anna Kendrick's husband. And so Jennifer Aniston goes to Kendrick's house and talks to the husband, played by Sam Worthington. And you think they're going to start this like romantic tryst that will begin Aniston's recovery. But instead, they sort of spend time with each other while they're grieving and that there's no romantic connection. Like they're just sort of talking about the, the ghosts in their lives of the people who have left. And like when they do share a bed, it's not to have sex. It's literally to have the company so that they don't feel alone. And so that when they wake up, you know, in the middle of the night in pain or after a nightmare, like there's somebody there. So I think this movie like really understands grief and it it transcends all of the trappings of its like, you know, indie movie um, genre. And it just ends up being really great. And yeah, like I guess one major criticism is that the disability is more an externalization 
of the pain that she feels as a result of her dead child. And maybe it would have been more an authentic movie, you know, if the child didn't die and she instead had to cope with her chronic pain issues and try to be a mother. But then I guess that would have just been Penguin Bloom. You know, I don't know. I I, I, I love this movie. I thought it was awesome. Sorry, Tony. I totally monopolized the podcast for 10 minutes. It was a good movie. I I don't know if it was a disability movie as much as a lot of the other ones we've watched. Mm-hmm. Our disability obviously is chronic pain. But I mean, we could we could talk about mental health. I don't feel qualified really to talk about that. That's obviously a disability that she was suffering from and coping with. But chronic pain is a real disability. Yeah. One that scares me because I I've had medical professionals tell me how surprised they are that I don't have pain. Yeah. Just based on like my posture. I look like a sideways W. I probably shouldn't be pain free. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like I probably should have pain. I'm always sitting. I don't have freedom to move and stretch and my body is fairly rigid in this position because it just kind of freezes up. Everything tightens up in the position as a result of my disability. And a lot of people who are in chairs all the time, your body just kind of tightens up or contracts to whatever position you're most commonly in. Mm -hmm. And all that to say, I probably should be in chronic pain. And the fact that I'm not is really, really amazing to me. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I, I do have pain. My back is always like a little bit sore and like, Maybe my butt gets a little bit sore, but it's not enough that I can't function throughout the day. Or that, yeah, you it interrupts your thinking. Right. Or it affects your mood or how you treat people. It's not a distraction. It doesn't control me. Mm-hmm. But talking to people, like medical professionals who deal with chronic pain, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it's there's almost nothing you can do about it. I don't know. I, I, I would never want to be able-bodied and in pain over disabled and not in pain ever i just i would never make that trade so in that sense it does feel like a disability movie honestly it felt a little bit more like a disability movie earlier on Mm -hmm. um the more you learn about the character you start to realize a lot of a lot of what i thought was like quote disability and when I say that, I'm just talking again in terms of like physical disabilities. Mm-hmm. For example, a, a kind of common trope in this movie is she's in the car a lot. And when she's in the car, she lays her seat back, mm-hmm. fully back. So she's basically lying down in the car. Someone has to drive her around all the time. The A in the title of Cake is turned sideways yeah. to demonstrate that. And to simulate the recline, the reclining chair. Yeah. Yeah. And at the beginning, the first time I saw her tilted all the way back in the car, I was like, oh, this is for sure a disability movie because her disability is making her have to travel in this strange way, mm-hmm. almost like the sessions. Yeah. They're both traveling horizontally. But then as you watch the movie, you realize like that it's more about her actual 
mental trauma. Yeah. And that's the reason she lies back. But overall, like, chronic pain is a huge disability. It is a disability movie. But to me, there wasn't a lot of, like, disability references, which is maybe a good thing. It wasn't on the nose. The most on the nose part was her caregiver, who I loved, and she was a great person, but almost like in a caricature kind of way. She has she has an attendant and um and a housemaid essentially who does everything for her and is also like her guardian angel. Yeah, like in the aforementioned scene where she sleeps with the pool boy. As the pool boy is leaving, she tries to give him a bucket of toys because she knows that the pool Jennifer boy... Jennifer Aniston does. Yeah, Jennifer Aniston tries to give uh, like her recently a bucket of toys because she knows he has like kids at home. And then the her Jennifer Aniston's housemaid, whose name I don't remember, uh, or I don't even know if she was given a name, to be honest, she stops... The the housemaid stops the pool boy from leaving with the toys. Like once he gets out of the house and she's like, those aren't yours. Like, don't take them. Like, go home or I'll curse you. And she's talking to him in Spanish and he can understand her. Imagine, tra- imagine being threatened to be cursed. I mean, if somebody says that to me in earnest, they're serious. Like, I'll be a little freaked out regardless. Yeah, I, I, me too. Yeah. If, someone, if someone said it. With enough conviction to be like, I can curse you. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, here's the box of toys, Sylvana. And th- this woman, like, basically does everything for Jennifer Aniston. And and that is, like, kind of the, the aspect of the film that is sort of aged poorly, which is the way that this woman is kind of treated throughout the movie. And she does have her chance to vent at Aniston for all the ways in which she, like, chronically abuses herself. Yeah, but it was in Spanish, so we couldn't clip it. I don't know. Perhaps that could have been handled better. Well, I don't know. It wasn't that it was a bad representation. I just think it wasn't all that realistic. It was bordering on enviable, though. Like, I kept thinking, wow, I don't think I have a relationship like this with an attendant very often. Like, I I can probably count on one hand the number of times over you know, 30 years where I've gotten close enough to someone who worked for me that they would like come to see me in the hospital or something. Yeah. I don't know if the movie actually does a good enough job convincing us that Aniston has earned the loyalty that she gets from her attendant. And I think that's the one way the movie fails. Cause we never get to know how she was before the movie. Yeah. So was this, was Sylvana like, the person, her her housemate or whatever, way before when they were a family. I think so. Yeah, of course. Otherwise, she wouldn't have such a deep appreciation for Aniston's grief. Yeah, we do. Like, there is a scene where Aniston manipulates her um, her general practitioner to get more pain pills, and we do see her sort of flip the switch into lawyer mode to kind of negotiate the pills. And in that moment, you do see, like, Rachel from Friends for a, for a second. But that's really the only glimpse that you get. That was one of the only times where I felt really connected on a disability level to the movie, though. Because I can relate 
to having all of these medical professionals or like caseworkers and OTs, yeah, people that I need in order to perform basic tasks. Mm-hmm. Like I can think of like when I was on like support system, like financial support, having to talk to your caseworker and explain like, these are the things I need. This is how much it's going to cost. Therefore, this is how much money I'm going to need every month. You almost have to like social engineer them mm-hmm. to get the things you need. Yeah. Because otherwise it's so much work to try to get them to a level of understanding of your life where they're going to give that to you naturally. <laughs> yeah. So it's easier to just tell them, this is what I'm going to need. I'm going to need you to sign this so I can get this chair. Like, I'm wondering how you learn to develop that skill. That's a good question. I don't really know. Like, I, I think I just got better and better at it over the years. So did you have to go without for so long that you learned how to go with? I don't think so. I think I've always been able to understand people. Mm. I'm not really sure where that comes from. Maybe it just comes from, like, my childhood. I was kind of locked in my own brain. And so I spent a lot more time thinking than I did doing anything. Yeah, we've talked about this, yeah. Right. And so maybe because of that, I developed more neural pathways for communication yeah. with people. Yep. And I, I do think I'm fairly good at talking to different kinds of people and relating to different kinds of people. And so that skill does come in handy. Yeah. Because that that's sort of like social engineering one oh one is just like treat them as a person, right? Mm-hmm. Ultimately that's how I would want to treat anyone anyway. So I don't feel like I'm manipulating them, but there definitely is a goal at the end of it. (laughs) When does something become manipulation? I think when you're abusing someone without any sort of appreciation or empathy, that feels manipulative when you feel like their only purpose is to serve you. Mm. That feels gross to me. Like even when I have an attendant and I don't want to... I never want to be rude to someone. Mm-hmm. It just feels like basic human decency to at least treat them like a person. I definitely have different relationships. I have some attendants who prefer silence when they're doing my care mm-hmm. or just all like turn on a TV show and we don't talk, but there's no disrespect. It's just that's their working style. There's a certain amount of intimacy in being in a room with someone without saying anything, and it's perfectly okay. Yeah, because I've been very conscious, because I don't want to be a manipulative person. But I also know that just by definition, I use people, right? Mm -hmm. Like I rely on people. I use people to get up every morning in that I can't do it without them. But in, in my mind, at least, if I remember the whole time, that they're a person and I treat them like a person. There's no power imbalance there. Everyone is just a person. I have these needs. You have a specific set of skills that you're able to use to help me with these things. That would be funny if Liam Neeson was an attendant when he came in and he was like, I have a very specific set of skills. Skills that are only helpful for a disabled person like you. 
And I don't in this scenario, have you kidnapped his daughter? Like what? No, I just think of nasty shit. <laughs> and he's like, I have a specific set of skills. I know exactly how much water to put on this toilet paper. So the movie's called Taken a Shit? <laughs> Taken a Shit. Yeah. So anyway, we'll write that movie for sure. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Liam Neeson deserves it. I love Liam He was Neeson. fucking Oscar Schindler. And now he does Jerry Action movies. Fuck, fuck Liam Neeson. So you didn't like this movie? No, I really like this movie. Mm. I thought it was an amazing movie. It, it felt a little out of range for disability. It, it was, again, it was definitely a disability movie because it's chronic pain. Uh-huh. But the, the disability was... Second fiddle. I guess in that sense, it does it really well because the the disability is so... It permeates the, the whole movie, but without really being in your face. Yeah. So in that sense, it's really good. It's it's an abstract disability movie. I I think yeah it's it's not it's not the it's not the core focus of the film. Right. It begs the question like what is again that we're always asking what is the cornerstone of living with a disability, and I I, I liked that it was more about her grief because <clears throat> I think that's more interesting than her solving the problem of moving with chronic pain for example, and it gives her something to do. That isn't just, you know, figure out how to be able again. And I like disabled movies that give their disabled characters purpose beyond the cripple obstacle. So I, I this movie was great. And I think that um, it also made a convincing argument for how she should at least begin to heal. Yeah. Uh, and it did a really good job of properly framing her subconscious obsession with Anna Kendrick. I yeah, it 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 was a it was a fucking good film. Yeah, it was a really really good movie. It was artistic. The cinematography was amazing. Mm. I kind of wish we were able to have someone with chronic pain cuz I can imagine it's miserable and it's so hard for you to be happy and to be kind to people and to not use people and to not manipulate your way to the next painkiller. Uh, today is a day where my shoulders hurt, and I spent like ten minutes, like abstractly bemoaning my grandma. Yeah, like come on, and that's just like a little. That's like a three or three or four out of ten pain. <laughs> Imagine what an insufferable dickhead I would be, like on with on like six or seven. You have for chronic pain in that you lately have been in pain frequently and often Mm -hmm. for long stretches of time and yeah maybe it's not excruciating no it's not it just buzzes but it's enough that when we'll hang out during the week i'll be like how are you doing and a lot of times your answer hinges on how much pain you're in that day yeah uh, maybe what what's happening? I just don't feel qualified to talk about chronic pain. Okay, yeah, fair enough. You like didn't connect with it on that level. But as a as a movie, it was fantastic, and I can I can relate to bad disability days. Yeah, where 
you just feel very disabled. Yeah. You just can't catch a break. You feel like you have to work three times as hard to get half as far. Yeah. It's easy to kind of resent the able-bodied world in those moments. Yeah. Because you're not able to perform the way you wish you were and the way you see other people doing it. Yeah, whenever I feel that resentment, I always try to find creative ways to tell people around me to fuck off so that like they at least laugh and don't feel guilty. Yeah, I mean, humor is a huge coping mechanism. Yeah, although I haven't been very funny this podcast. Sorry, guys. Maybe it's because you're in chronic pain. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, Do you want to play Wheel Breakers? Well, I wanted to play this one clip because this was a disability moment to me. I really didn't think I'd see you again. I have to get something off my chest. Okay. I am in a lot of pain. I know. You may know, but sometimes I suspect that you think I'm this uncooperative old bitch who's just making all of this up. Do you want to get better? Really? No bullshit. Do you want to? I do. Of course she does. Who the fuck doesn't want to get better? That's dumb. I don't think that's dumb because in those environments, it's so easy to just sort of resign yourself to your fate and just be like, whatever. I can be bitter because I deal with this stuff. I can be a dick or I can be a bitch because... I'm always in pain or life is hard for some reason. The therapist in this case is like, okay, but you have to put in the effort. Like, but I, I related to this because I feel that way, especially, you know, we've talked about this countless times, but in the morning, my two hour morning routine takes a lot out of me every day before my work day even starts sometimes a lot more than others, often dependent on who comes in the door. I have this internal monologue similar to this one, and sometimes I've had to express it outwardly, depending on the situation, where it's like, I don't want to be doing this any more than you do. Like, I, because people often complain about my two-hour routine in the morning, and either to my face or behind my back. Which is fucking bullshit. Yeah, it's 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 bullshit because like again, I don't want to be doing this. I'd rather get up on my own every day. Yeah. I'd rather just hop in the shower and hop out, not have to go through this whole process. I have a particular routine. It works for me. Part of it is part of the reason I'm so strict on it is because the organization I live on thrives on routine. To the point where they say sometimes, like, if you don't do something every day, it's not considered an activity of daily living, and therefore they don't support you with it. So you almost have to do certain things every single day just for them to do them, ever. That's so ridiculous. It's an outrageous concept. It's like if I if I had a stretch of time where I was a regular, then suddenly I wouldn't be able to take a shit except for Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday? Yeah, exactly. Like, fuck off. 
Yeah, and that's why I have a shower every day. Yeah. Even though there are definitely days I don't want to shower. But I know if I don't have a shower one day, then they'll be like, well, then I guess you never have to shower. Yeah, well, you need to shower. You're a hairy asshole. Yeah, because of my hairy asshole. Yeah, that particularly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I just want to say sometimes, like, I know you think I'm a bossy princess in the morning who just, like, has all of these requirements, but I am very disabled. Wait, if you were a princess, who would you be? Ariel. <laughs> I just want to pee where the people are. <laughs> <laughs> we opened the podcast about sea legs, didn't we? We're coming full circle. Yep. I think I'd make a pretty good mermaid, but we'll save that for another episode. Sounds good. You know, the more I think about it, honestly, the more of a disability movie this really was. Yeah, fuck off, Tony. Of course it was. When I was watching it, I think I was just not focused on the disability, and that's to the movie's credit, because yeah. it wasn't shoving anything down my throat. I was just invested in the character and in her uh, in her journey and her arc that she goes through. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really ever thinking of it in terms of disability. And so afterwards, I was like, well, maybe it wasn't super disability movie. But I think that's just because a lot of the movies we've been watching are just garbage that have been shoved down our throat. And it's just like someone's idealized version of what disability movies are and they just turn into a movie and write it and this one was a lot more well thought out and well executed Mm -hmm. yeah those other movies are just hitting you over the head with a forearm crutch yeah they're just stopping you to a k-walker and shoving you off a cliff hey yeah bastard movies fuck you daniel day lewis Wheel breakers. Do you have one? I do. Okay, you go first this time. I always go first. Yeah. So you get to be 100% able-bodied. Yeah, I'll take it. Yep. But every time you take a piss, it's in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> this is, have we talked about my shy bladder? I have the shyest bladder in the world. And that's why I was thinking about this. And I have a really hard time admitting to my friends that I have it. So I'm coming out right now and saying it. Good for you. Yeah. Guys, if I take 45 minutes in your bathroom, it's not because I'm destroying it with a huge shit. It's because I can't get over my demons enough to relax and pee. Is 45 minutes? No, not 40. It's 15 minutes. Don't judge me. Well, 45 minutes, I'm going to start to judge you. <laughs> like, we're going to need to pivot the podcast to a bladder self-help podcast. <laughs> Dribble threat? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Honestly, I'd rather do that podcast just for the title. <laughs> Next up on Dribble Threat, how many times do you shake? <laughs> I also have a, a shy bladder. Let me try to explain it. So unnecessary information but when i pee we must have talked about this yeah we have yeah you got to put your dick in a in a urinal then sometimes if it's a guy they get a little bit like homophobic about it yeah because weirdly you needing to pee is a sexual activity and so they're all afraid you're gonna get all gay on them yeah yeah but i think the reason i get pee shy is actually just because my body 
is like you're still just sitting in your chair. Nothing's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't like transferred to a toilet. I'm not standing. I'm not in a different position. I'm just sitting in the exact same spot with my dick out. Yeah. So you're saying like your body is telling you it's not socially acceptable to pee right now? Yeah. Like if I pee, I'm going to end up with pee everywhere. Yeah. You you need the permission of cold porcelain. Exactly. Every morning, the porcelain god is like, give me your pee. And I'm like, here's a donation. (laughs) And I have no problem with that. Because in the mornings, I transfer to a commode chair, which is just a wheelchair with a butthole. (laughs) And I pee into a toilet regularly. I have no issue doing that. It's not a butthole. It's a butt cheek hole. (laughs) It's a butthole. It's a hole for your butt. Yeah, yeah, but it's not like you're making it sound like it only has like the hole, a hole the size of a butthole. Oh, yeah, no, I need a big, for whatever reason, I like a commode with a big butthole. Because <laughs> I've tried the little buttholes, <laughs> and if I feel like my cheeks are on the the seat, and then my butthole's lined up with the commode butthole, <laughs> I just never feel like that's going to end well. <laughs> I don't know why. Because then I get poo shy for the same reason. I'm like, oh, this is just going to end up everywhere. Oh, God, that's gross. But with a butthole, a big butthole, wide girth butt cheeks and everything, <laughs> I feel ready to drop the kids off. Cause Thank you. Just, yeah, yeah. I know that it's going to be a smooth landing. Right, right, right. Oh, I wanted to say that when I get... Uh, shy bladder i actually sometimes get the fear that i'm never gonna pee again and that i'm gonna have to go to the hospital and have them insert a catheter just so i can pee yeah because one time after i had surgery the arbitrary pee by date that my doctor gave me that i had to reach before i could leave the hospital i still was not able to pee at that time so they had to reinsert the catheter and that was the most painful thing i've ever been through in my fucking life Oh, man, I've had some... Sorry, that was a slight exaggeration. It was just really painful. I've had some nasty catheters. Yeah. From hospital experiences. Yeah. Okay, so your question was, I have to pee in front of a live studio audience. Yep. Is everyone consenting to this? Well, they're there for a reason, yeah. That's what they're there for? Yep. It's not like intermission, I just come out and start peeing. No, it's a live taping of Tony peeing. Okay. So they've bought tickets? They have, yep. Do I get a cut of the proceeds? You might, yeah. And so when you start peeing, they start wooing like like an iconic character just entered the scene. Oh, like when I start fireworks. Yeah, yeah. And if you if you have shy bladder, they like they all go like aw. So they feel How sorry long for before you. the aw? Um, How much time do I get to perform? Uh, six minutes. Oh yeah, that's I can do six minutes. Yeah, it's usually like a minute or two. Really? That's not a shy bladder. It's enough that the attendants like to make jokes about it. Oh my god. Your attendants are so mean. Which does not help. No, it doesn't. They'll be like, oh, you want me to play waterfall noises? Yeah, and you're like, oh, how about I sit outside the door while you fucking piss, person? Just start talking to you. Hey, how's it going? Are you peeing yet? Are you started? Yeah, sure. sure you, I, I sure hope you don't have to deal with the pain of a full bladder because of your shy bladder. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would do that. If there were consenting adults and 
I get a cut of the profit? <laughs> For sure. Sounds like a great career path. Cool. Wait, does it have to be every time I... Like, what if I'm, like, out with my friends? I'm like, oh, I've been drinking a lot. I have to pee. Yep, all of a sudden, there's a live studio audience in every public bathroom. Oh, like it's a magic trick? Well, no, like, like the wall... The wall from the urinal like comes up behind you, and all of a sudden it's like a sitcom crowd. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I was just hoping it didn't mean I have to be like, sorry guys, I gotta go. I'm gonna have to run to the theater because I have to pee. No, 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 no. Okay. Like I had to be in like a radius of the theater at all times. No, 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 no. Okay, yeah, I would take that deal. Okay. That would be fine with me. It would probably help me get over my anxiety. Okay, so no wheel then is what you're saying. No wheel. Cool. Do you, do you have anything for me? Yeah, okay, so you get to be fully able-bodied. Uh-huh. But anytime you're indoors, you have to take your shirt off. <laughs> so when you go outside, <laughs> you can put your shirt back on. Yeah. I don't want you to get nipple frostbite. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you enter indoors, no matter what the setting is, first thing you do as you're saying hello or whatever, take your shirt off. So um, what if it invalidates the dress code? Take your shirt off. <laughs> Funeral, take your shirt off. <laughs> Job interview, take your shirt off. <laughs> Work meeting on Zoom, shirt off. So you're just saying, you're saying, <clears throat> I get to be fully able-bodied and Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, so you could get a career where it's socially acceptable to have no shirt. Which would be like Chippendales dancer. Matthew McConaughey. Chippendales. Yeah. Yeah, you could be in the industry. Yeah, I could be that awful comedian, Burt Kreischer. You could be Burt Kreischer. Yeah. I don't actually know if he's awful. I'm just not that interested in him. I kind of like him. Okay. I like Tom Segura a lot, and they're good friends. Oh, yeah, I like Tom Segura. All right, I misjudged. <clears throat> so, yeah, I do it. I'm fine with my shirt off. Dinner table with your parents, shirt off. That's fine. Sometimes I do do that when it's too hot. I'll eat with my shirt off. Let's just role play this for a second. Yep. I don't know if you're fully appreciating. We are gathered here today <laughs> to mourn the loss of our dear friend, Anthony. Oh my God, so morbid. I'm dead. You take your shirt off at my funeral? I would. Yes, I would. Good for you. I appreciate that. And I'd be like, see, I'm hairier than him. Well, you're just like... Take it off and then sit down? Or are you going to like ham it up? Like, take it off. All right, guys, let's party. Like, are you going to go? Are you going to try to play it up? Yep. Or are you just going to try to pretend it's normal? No, it's um, the the moment will be slow mo and I'll just take it off. And that's it. Every time. Mm-hmm. First date, take your shirt off. Yep. All right. Well, good for you. All right. Here's another one. Um, hey, Jamie, dinner's ready. <laughs> Come sit down. I'm not afraid of having my shirt off in front of my parents. It's not that you're afraid. Of, like It's just there are so many situations. Like You're going to get checked out at so many restaurants. You're excluding don't, yourself from so many places. Don't care. You're not going to be able to go to the movies. Don't care. Shirt's off. No shirt, no shoes, no service. Like, I don't need to go to the movies anymore. The movies suck. Someone's going to have to get your groceries for you. I can get my groceries without my shirt on. No, they won't let you in. Really? No shirt, no shoes, no service. Everywhere? A lot of places. Mm. Do try. How about your take-home project is 
Next time you're out, you just start taking your shirt off in random places. Are you mad at me that I would take my shirt off? No, I'm just surprised. Okay. Honestly, if it was me, I might also take it. I would assume that I would have a body worth taking my shirt off for. Yeah, I definitely would. Yeah. All right. There it is. You've done it. Cool. Is there anything else you want to say? I think that's it, Tony. Yeah. People should watch Cake. It's good. Jennifer Aniston's awesome. Yeah, it's a really good movie. I, I'm sad that she's been relegated relegated to Hangover Duty and friend, Friends Reunion specials on HBO. Fuck that shit. She, she has fun in those movies. I guess. I, I didn't have fun in those movies. It's not always about you, is it? 